see, yeah? Yeah, I can, I can see that. Okay. So it goes, um... Da, it goes, da, 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 Yeah? And then there's a bit in it. Can you, can you do that? And then there's another part that goes that. Yeah? And then the chorus, that's, so you have those two bits? Mm -hmm. And the chorus goes. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We have a musical for this go-round, uh, although I guess that was somewhat in dispute based on some of our notes, so we might uh, talk about that coming up. But we are going to be looking at a very different film from some of the more recent ones we've done. We've done some like kind of off-the-beaten-path weird or weird horror movies, and this is still off-the-beaten-path. It's not super famous. I think it's famous in, uh, in certain circles, uh, very famous, I would say, in certain circles based on like awards and everything. But I think if you aren't a big musical fan or musical theater fan, this is easily one that would not have been on your radar. I myself had never heard of it. Um, and I don't watch musicals like all the time or anything, but I, I definitely will watch stuff uh, when they pop up, something that sounds interesting, something that's big. But this is one I did not know about when it came out. Um, but, uh, my friend Chris recommended it some years back. And so I saw it for the first time then. So I don't know, five, six years ago or something. So we are going to be looking at the 2007 Irish musical once it, um, was shot on, well, I'll, I'll dig into the, the production aspect in a minute. So, uh, so we're going to look at once and I'll introduce our cast of characters here. So we have a couple people returning from some of our musical episodes, and then somebody else uh, who's also a big musical theater fan. And so we have Chris, who uh, you were on Pennies from Heaven, I think is your first and only so far, right? But then you have a, yeah. you've got a theater background, and you're a big musical lover, right? That, those are both correct. And Chris is the one who got me to see once, once upon a time. And we have Carolyn joining us, who is a glutton for musical theater. Hi. Hey, Carolyn. And we have Jess, who has been on a number of our episodes, mostly for, like, fantastical stuff, I think. And is this the first, like, thing that's musical? I guess Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Shock Treatment. Oh, yeah, you're on Shock Treatment, and then Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared is... Technically yeah. a musical at times. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So we've got a, a stacked deck here for musical lovers. Um, yeah. So as I said, this is an Irish movie. It was shot in 17 days. It had a budget of $150,000, which was largely funded by the Irish Film Board. I think they put up like 75% of the budget or something as long as it stayed ridiculously low budget 
and it ended up making $23.3 million. So, you know, significant um, return on investment, although, you know, still pretty low level as far as, uh, you know, Hollywood movies go, that kind of thing. And it, it ended up winning the best Oscar, uh, the best song Oscar for its song Falling Slowly. And it had tons and tons of critical praise as a film and then was later adapted into a stage musical that won eight Tony Awards. So we will dive into this. The plot is very simple. The movie is like 80 minutes long, but it focuses on a struggling musician in... Uh, where is he at? I think Dublin. Dublin? Okay. Dublin. Yeah, so a uh, struggling musician in Dublin who's working as a busker and a girl who is working the streets sort of like she, at one point she's selling like roses another point she's selling like magazines so i think she's kind of taking odd jobs so they're both kind of like economically depressed to a degree they end up meeting up and then we kind of see this relationship unfold throughout the course of the film where the music both both people um sing music within the film he's you know, more focused on music, but she has a musical background and she's been working on things as well on the piano. And so that's where all of the music is coming from. So we kind of see their relationship develop as we go. But there's other things to talk about. I don't want to eat it all up. So what do we make of Once? I want to butt in real quick on the introduction you've given the film. Uh, it seems as though, you know, you're recommending this for musical theater buffs, things like that. But the film also has some like really strong indie movie bona fides as well. Um, this won the audience choice at the Sundance Film Festival and has won an Oscar as well. So I, I feel like my love for it doesn't even come from as much of a place where my love for other musicals comes from as much as it comes from like a love of indie film um, and kind of the different... This film did a lot different from what you would see in a normal, like, romantic film, things like that. And I think that's where my love for it came from. It didn't feel like a Hollywood story. It felt like, you know, what indie cinema can bring to the table. Yeah. So I would say, I would definitely suggest it for lovers of indie film as well as fans of musicals and yeah. music. Yeah, it felt less like a musical and more like, like Chris said, like an indie film. And it obviously they had accents because they were in Ireland, but... It also had that European vibe as well, just from watching it. I was like, am I watching a French movie? I wasn't. <laughs> it was an Irish movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I wasn't classifying it so much as, I mean, I, I, at least as far as I'm concerned for the podcast, I never have things where it's, this episode is only for this specific type of, you know, viewer or listener or whatever. Um, it's more just, I think that to me is... I mean, the indie film stuff makes sense, but that to me was a good introduction point. But yeah, I mean, I would hope people get exposed to different kinds of genres and things they might, you know, not otherwise check out. And I was trying to stress that I feel unless you are in uh, invested in musical theater, you probably aren't super aware of this movie. That's the vibe. I've never heard anyone talk about it. The only reference i've ever seen in pop culture was in the uh, the the show last man on earth where will forte sings it for karaoke in like a really goofy over the top way so i just think it's kind of like an underground thing but you're right that yeah like there's definitely this indie flavor to it there's this uh foreign cinema flavor to it so yeah th that's operating as well 
Yeah, I just want to go on the record early to talk about how much I love this movie. Um, <laughs> because I really, like, there's so much for me to love in this movie. It's cute, it's different. I'm just a huge fan, uh, so I'll just put that out there right away. Both when you look at the story, what's happening on camera, and some of the things that happen, like, in the making of the film. I think there's just, it's it's so much of a feel-good story um, that it just really, like, it makes me happy when I watch it. I've seen it probably... This was my fourth time watching it, maybe, and every time. I just had a really good experience. Yeah, it made me feel good inside. Yeah. I've only seen it once before. Today was the second time. And, like, I've heard Falling Slowly, like, a bazillion times. And as soon as they started playing it in the movie, I was just like, tears, tears. Oh, God. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's it's a really, yeah, a beautiful movie. I'm happy to talk about it in a positive way. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll say that I feel like it was really, I think it speaks to the quality of the music that they, entire scenes were, usually if a movie's going to play a whole song, it's like a trudge to get through that song. Um, but again, for people who haven't seen the movie, when we say it's a musical, it's different than most musicals because everybody in the film is a musician. Um, and they're, you know, they're playing the music like in a real world setting and it's not like a fantasy musical. So for them to be able to just let those songs exist for long periods of time and you're just kind of still invested in watching, I think it's really impressive. Like from the get-go, uh, and I don't know if anybody else could have pulled it off other than the lead actor in the film, Glenn Hansard, he just, like, his singing voice and the, way, the amount of emotion he puts into the songs really, like, can carry me just staring at, like, a still shot of him singing on the street corner which is kind of like something I would never believe that I would like in a movie, just like a still shot of something for two and a half minutes. But I was it's just like really compelling music. Um, I even noticed two songs play twice in their entirety in the movie, and no one really notices their minds because the songs are just pretty good. Oh, I noticed, and I was like, oh, heck yeah, this song again. Bring it back. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the two leads, it's Glenn Hansard, who has been in several bands, and he stars as Guy. And Marketa Erglova is Girl. And she's been in some bands since then. And she's done uh, with him. And she's done like a solo career as well. Um, but they were both working musicians. Or at least uh, I think he was a working musician. She might have been an aspiring musician at the time of this filming in 2006. And it was written and directed by John Carney, who's done a number of other seemingly, I think, musical-based films, but none that I've ever seen. One was Sing Street, recent one, something called Zonad, and something called Begin Again that had Mark Ruffalo in it. And so he wrote and directed this. He knew Glenn Hansard and got him involved. And then Hansard and Erglova wrote pretty much... I mean, wrote all the songs. I think Hansard might have written more than she did, but I think she had some co-writing credits on some, and then she wrote a couple on her own. So they like, and then she sings on a lot of them with him. And and John Carney, the director, was in uh, the band The Faces with Glenn Hansard previously. He was a bass player for the band, so they were yeah. in a band together uh, before the film went into production, and that's how they knew each other. So I think we'll like dig into the music coming up for sure and talk about some of our favorite set pieces and some of our favorite songs and everything. But I, I think before we get to that, because that's kind of the meat of a lot of what's happening in this movie, 
I would say we could talk uh, to some degree, I think, like on the performances and what's going on, because I think the the songs probably uh, overshadow everything and rightfully so. But I don't think it's the, the only factor that's going on in this. So I just wonder what we thought of our two leads, guy and girl. As I said, they aren't given actual names in the and it's both in the script and in the film itself. You don't uh, they never call each other anything. So it's just kind of inferred that they learn each other's names at some point and then it goes from there but neither of these people are like i said they are working slash aspiring musicians neither of them are trained or professional actors glenn hansard had been in like a small role in an indie movie called the commitments where he was like in a band and then um erglova had never been in anything else to my understanding and neither of them really wanted to be in film past this. I think maybe they popped up in a couple things, but that's not really their goal. So what do we make of that? Um, Cause that's going, cause this is not, you know, we're not just watching an album cause these songs are great and we will talk about that, but we are watching a movie. So what do we make of them as a couple and them as performers? I loved her immediately. Mm-hmm. I just thought she was just so great and so candid and genuine and kind. And you don't see a lot of, and maybe this is a little early to jump into this, but you don't see a lot of female characters like her that are just open and honest and not trying to be weird or anything. Like it's, it's just a, she just has such a positive vibe from the very beginning. And I, I was all in on her. It took me a while to warm up to him because I was like, oh, you know, a dude trying to make it with the songs. <laughs> Men. <laughs> but but I was all in on her train right from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, just the, uh, I don't know, her um, energy was just so, yeah. Like yeah, her said, charisma. Positive and just like, um, oh, you are a, Hoover fixer, like I'm bringing my Hoover. I have a broken one. <laughs> like, what you just met? Like I don't. But it wasn't in a way of like manic pixie dream girl. Like, right. It wasn't seductive. Cliche. No. It was. Yeah. It was and very love... just. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. <laughs> I I love that. Like she says something that's a little seems like it's going to be a little weird, and then he's like, "Oh, that's a little weird," and she's like, "No, this is who I am." And then they just like, she just like steamrolls with an honest kindness that you're like, oh, okay, this is who she is. Like, it seems like she's like when she first just shows up and she's saying some kind of like weird things and he's being really awkward, but she's just like, Hey, I'm happy to be here. I'm talking to you. Let's do this. And he's like (laughs) trying to make like small talk about how much money she's giving him and things like that. So he's like, he's like clearly like a nervous person just trying to like nervously have a conversation. And she's just like, Oh yeah, I've got a broken vacuum cleaner. I'll stop by tomorrow. Like she's just like <laughs> out there and like uh, and and such a, like like you said, it's always like super positive and super honest, and it's not like not a man- man- manic pixie dream girl. Like she's just like a genuinely happy and nice person. When as it develops, she becomes kind of like a champion for him and like pushing certain things, and she uh, like she ends up negotiating a deal. They wanted, what was it, three grand for a recording studio for like the weekend. And he was willing to either pay that knowing, 
uh, it's all I can do, or just decide, well, I'm going to give up on my dream again. Like, the movie kind of leaves it, like, we don't know exactly what he would go with. And then she just, like, barters with the dude on the spot. Of, She's like, like, that's a stupid amount. <laughs> <laughs> I want to pay you so much less, and I'm gonna. Yeah, she gets it. She gets it down to two grand. I know. And, and I think it's great because they don't do it like it doesn't feel like someone's writing that character. It just feels like she's just like, no, I'm positive and I this is the price I want. And I'm just going to, you know, ask for it nicely and get it. Like, <laughs> it's not like it's hard to explain without watching it, but it doesn't seem like they're like pushing it as like, oh, here's a here's a character quirk. It's just like she's it's just who she is. And it just like runs through the whole film well that's that's something that really struck me i think this is the second time i've watched it you know like i said they aren't trained actors you know they're performers at least to some degree because they're musicians so they i mean they would understand stage presence they understand you know wanting to look good in front of a crowd in front of people and everything but that doesn't always translate there are plenty of musicians that aren't good actors or can't do anything else what really struck me was that it doesn't feel like acting. It just feels natural. Like there aren't like scenes built around moments, like even like great actors, if you know, Nicole Kidman or somebody's like trying to get an Oscar and they'll have like a really gut wrenching, compelling scene that might be amazing, but it's very filmic. It's cinematic. It's, it's made to like make you feel, Oh, this is a huge moment. Whereas this, I mean, I could see some people maybe accusing the film of being like meandering or whatever, or some people might even find it boring. It's possible. But I would say that it, I, I don't feel that way, but I, I think it comes off as very naturalistic and it almost feels like we're watching a documentary. Like that's to the the level of acting is just, it just seems like we're following a camera around with these two real people and that the scenes have not been written in a way of like, well, here's our really funny scene. Here's our really heart-wrenching scene. I mean, there's some like moments where things get pushed one way or another, but it's in the subtleties that you see in a documentary and not that you usually see. I mean, in some indie films, I guess, but that's the thing that really struck me this time around was, yeah, it just, it feels like a documentary. And then the low level of production quality of like, it's, you know, it, it's shot for $150,000, kind of looks like it. They, um... Uh, they used a lot of natural lighting because then they didn't have to pay for lights. They were shooting in people's like apartments and people's friends' houses. They're casting their friends as extras. So it has this like Kevin Smith clerks vibe uh, better than that. It looks better than that. They go to more locations than just one building, um, but it looks better than that. And it clerks, I think was made for 40 grand or something. So they're, they're doing better around 15 years later, 13 years later after clerks, but still, it, it has that kind of graininess, roughness, and so that adds to the documentary feel, I think. Yeah, I remember the first few times I watched this, it was, uh, I'm going to get in trouble, watch out, uh, a pirated copy of the film, make sure the MPAA is not listening, uh, and I thought that I just had a bad copy of the movie. <laughs> uh, it's so bad that it looks like someone like recorded it uh ran it through a computer about 40 times and then sent it out into the public but yeah i was watching this time on hbo um and it looked exactly the same as <laughs> when i watched it on my google tablet some some scenes look ago. better like when it's when it's broad daylight and they're outside it's like okay this looks this looks better yeah but i want to i, I want to make sure that when we say it was filmed with naturalistic lighting we're not talking about the revenant here 
It was filmed with natural lighting with, like, old camcorders. Like, it's... The night scenes are grainy and out of focus. But that's what (laughs) sort of gives it that European artsy vibe, I think. Mm. Um, But the wobbly camera, who? Who boy? That didn't get me like it got you. It made me kind of, like, physically (laughs) ill. But I'm I'm sure it's there, but it didn't pop out to me as, like, this is... It didn't saving Private Ryan me. Well, I was, like, hopped up on too much caffeine and donuts. So my mind was already in sort of a fragile state, and then the camera was like, and it wasn't actually like, but the coffee made it seem like it was. And so I felt like I needed to calm down, and the music helped with that. Carolyn was just going through some things, as we're finding out. Welcome to to therapy. (laughs) There were some times where I had to, like, look away and just listen. But then I couldn't do that because then I couldn't read the subtitles. <laughs> yeah, I also used the subtitles because her accent, I just, I, I couldn't. I it tried. took me a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they speak, they, they all speak in English. Uh, she is uh, Czech. Czech. Yeah, so she's Czech. So there are points where she's speaking in Czech. Sometimes it's translated. Sometimes it's not. Um, it's, it's, it's not a whole lot. It's just like when she's speaking to her mother. But otherwise, she has that Czech accent he has an Irish accent. There are other people with Irish accents. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a rough go for American ears without closed captioning on. So I had that <laughs> on. Just to, like, uh, speaking of the shaky camera, just when I said at the beginning that everything about this movie, like, on camera and behind the camera is cute, I think the shaky camera is part of that, too. Because they were filming it so cheaply that they were not getting location permits for some of the places they were filming. Mm. So they said the way they were getting around it was they would just get a camera with a really long lens so the camera was nowhere near the action when it was taking place, which led to a lot of the shakiness. One of the stories that I saw floating around the internet was uh, the guy who steals the guitar case with the money in it near the beginning of the film. Bystanders were not extras, they were just people on the street. And the camera was so far away, no one realized it was for a movie, so someone had like tackled the guy and like kneed him in the groin and injured him. Uh, seeing him steal this guy's guitar case full of money. So, like, that's the budget of the film we're working with. It's like, can't even show the cameras in public. And I want to be clear, the aesthetic of it is good. Like, I understand the value of all of that. But I just get motion sickness really easily. (laughs) And again, I don't think... I'm not here to, like, champion long lenses and grainy footage. Uh, Litton will tell you, as someone who's lived with me in the past, that I'm very particular about dumb things like the video quality and the audio quality, like when I'm watching something. It's true. Um, (laughs) But it just comes from how low budget the film was made. And I think, you know, you get the benefits with low budget that you're not tied to a studio system and you can tell the story that you want to tell. And in this case, they tell a love story that culminates in, like, a kiss on the cheek. Um, which again, everything's so cute in it that I just can't handle it. Well, and I, I think too, like there are some films and there are films with like certain kinds of subject matter where having it be rougher, having it be more kind of like a shoestring budget works in its favor as long as there's talent behind it. So we have the fantastic music that we'll talk about and that is the driving force of this, but you know, they, they do a good job acting even though they aren't professional actors so that they they make the story work throughout but yeah i mean i'm thinking that like night of the living dead was not a whole lot made for a whole lot of money either and it's pretty 
very few locations and it's kind of grainy, but it's gone on to become just an utter horror classic because for what they were trying to pull off, it works. And I think on this, we're just trying to look at these two people. They're not even really a couple. It's just sort of like this will they, won't they thing. And I think the fact that the movie is only 80 minutes, it's like 86, but most of that's, I think, credits at the end. So I think it's about 80 minutes. And so, I mean, about as lean as a movie can get. I think if this movie stayed around for two hours, even with the great songs, we would be like, I don't know, guys. Um, but I mean, they're in and out and they tell the story and it's just like kind of a quick little thing between these two people. And then they move on and they've left you with, you know, these amazing songs and hopefully like being touched in some way, which Chris certainly has been. I have been. Me too. Yeah, I read somewhere that they, at one point, they were, like, the distribution model was just going to be, like, sell the DVD at concerts. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> so for that to win an Oscar is pretty impressive. That's how good the songs are. Well, and they also didn't just win an Oscar. They, um, Bob Dylan apparently was such a big fan of the movie that he got the two leads who, as I said, wrote and sang all the stuff. So Glenn Hansard and Marketa Erglova, he got them to open for him for like a leg of his tour. And uh, he also got them to cover one of his songs in I'm Not There, which was like the kind of Bob Dylan sort of jukebox musical thing they did in the 2000s. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, so they got praise from the academy they got praise from the tonys they got bob dylan was nominated uh the album was nominated for two grammys that year also oh, okay uh, as close as an indie film has ever come to egotting if a film could win <laughs> an emmy it's there yeah the uh they just recently adapted it to a broadway film which won a whole heap of tonys like the music has and as someone who watched the movie like 10 years ago i still listen to most of these songs like once or twice a month at this point in my life. So anything else we want to talk about in terms of like the acting or the story beats? I feel maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but I, I felt like it started out kind of slow. Like I really didn't get invested until they started really pushing for recording the music and getting it down. Yeah. Up until that point, I was just kind of wondering what was going to happen. Like, okay, we get it, she has a family, okay, we get it, he misses his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, whatever. Why are they hanging out so much? Are they going to leave their prior lives for each other? Are they going to just, like, sing on the street together? Yeah, you're, you're describing why it's a compelling film. You got it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I feel it's pretty clear why they're spending so much time together. I, 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 I didn't think that was in dispute. What do you mean? I mean, I mean, it is just that like they're interested in each other. Yeah, I don't know. The movie hits the beats of like we're watching two people fall in love, and then they casually drop that she has a husband and has a kid, and like definitely has this life family already. And then you know he's still pining for his ex, and it's just kind of like, where is this going? Why are we doing this? Are we just gonna watch people cheat on their significant others? Like that doesn't sound fun and cute. But... We don't because it's funny. Yes. <laughs> Maybe I, and, and I, I will admit that I, mentally, I'm not on the top of my game lately. 
But I was just like, oh, she wants a friend. <laughs> he he wants to hanky-panky his friend. But she... I just thought that she wanted a friend until, like, later on. It was in the second half that I was like, oh, maybe she does kind of like him. And then, you know, the whole bit by the ocean. There's a I bit by the ocean, him, everyone. Like, when they're on the bus together and he's just, like, riffing songs. Which, again, one of that, like, country song he made up was mm-hmm. something that was not scripted. He made it up while they were filming as a joke and they put it in the movie. Everything is cute. Uh, like in that scene, if you look at her just like staring at him singing in the back of a bus, I think it's very clear that, uh, she is falling for him. She doesn't want to sleep with him. There's that scene where he proposes it. No, I mean, so to speak what Carolyn's talking about, like, so he essentially propositions her and she is like kind of hurt and offended. And I, I, I think the implication is that she is viewing it like, oh, that's, you just see me as just that kind of that. That's the vibe I get. Um, but my my overall read of the film is that they're people who are stuck in between. They're in weird. They're in a weird place um, because you, Carolyn, you said like cheating on his significant other. Uh, she cheated on him, and they're they're broken up. So he's not with anybody. So that's she. She's in another city, and he's somewhat hung up on what happened. And some of his songs are about that, but they're not. They're not a thing. And then, yeah, we find out that girl has a husband, but she also talks about that the husband is back in the Czech Republic, that they're distanced both um, geographically and kind of emotionally, that he's older than her. And there's this feeling of like, does she even want this guy in her life? So I, I don't know. To me, I feel that both characters are coming from a point of view of they don't know where they're headed or what they need. And then you have the extra conflict of this guy is trying to head to London to like make a career in music. And so it's sort of the, he had, he and her have the conundrum of, well, do I give up that chance to stay here with you? Do you give up your life here with your mother to come there with me? So I, I, daughter, well, he, he mentions bringing the daughter though. So, I, I didn't yeah. assume she would leave the daughter, but she would potentially leave the mother, though, because she comments on that. So to me, it's I think it's all about the in-betweens is what it's stressing. And just talking about the acting in that scene real quick, where he's telling her to come with him, like, and then she kind of brings up, well, can, would my mother come too? And you just see his eyes do something where he just, like, shocks back to reality of the situation yeah. from his fantasy. And I think it's extremely impressive for two non-actors to be able to pull off scenes like that. Mm -hmm. So seemingly effortlessly. But yeah, that's what I love about the movie is like, it's a slice of life. Um, It's like very subtle, but also very deep. And also, you know, it doesn't end in the way that you would expect a movie to end. Um, They do not get together at the end. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, And I think it's such a bold choice and... And leaves, like, I don't know, I feel like when you leave the movie, you feel like the the circle of the story is closed, but you also feel like you want more, and I feel like that's kind of, like, the vibe that they have in their own lives, and I am super on board with the the super weird ending that's, you know, they both do what's right for them. I like the ending, yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's it's really an ending that we don't... It's 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 complete, but it's incomplete, and I think it's something we don't see like in a lot of movies. And I really like. I remember 
I watched it. I was just like watching it on a tablet, laying in bed at like two in the morning. I don't remember why, but like I was like, oh, I'll just pop this on to fall asleep. And then by the end, I'm just like in tears, staring at it, and then like staying up and thinking about what had happened in this movie, like for the next hour. And I just never had that kind of experience with a movie before. So like I said, it still like. It brings me, like, such a happiness, but there's also that, like, kind of, like, bittersweet ending, and it just, it's like, uh, I don't know, it's like a good meal where there's, like, a lot of layers, and you don't have them all at once, but... But it's not... It sticks with you. Right, and it's not so much that it, like, makes you feel queasy or anything. Like, you don't feel uncomfortable. I didn't feel uncomfortable, really, at any point in the movie. Like, even there's a scene where she's walking through what seems like a not great part of town... And she's just chilling, like, singing the song that she wrote, and it's really pretty. And I was not worried for her safety at all, and just the whole movie I felt safe. Not not safe, like, oh, these are safe choices, but safe, like, this is, this makes me feel good in my heart in what is a bad time. <laughs> for you, the yeah. country, all of the above. Yes. <laughs> Just the time. <laughs> One other aspect in regards to their relationship. So people wouldn't know this unless they read some trivia on it or speak Czech. But uh, there is a part where, so like like I said, some of her dialogue in Czech is um, not translated. There, there are no subtitles. There's a couple points where she's talking and they, they do it. But other points, she's talking to her mom and he's sitting there like the audience and not knowing what's being said between them. So she has to kind of relay it. Well, so there's one moment where they're like uh, walking in a park or somewhere. and They're on the ocean. Okay. They're looking on at the, the ocean. Cliffs. So he, this is when she like reveals off camera that she's married. And we cut into the scene like with him finding this out, which is kind of like an interesting way to do it. So like it isn't displayed. It's like we come in like 10 seconds later, which is kind of neat. And so they have a little discussion about that. He's a little surprised. And so she's just kind of like describing her situation. We've already seen that she has a kid, like a two-year-old, um, is it a son or it's a daughter, right? Daughter. Girl. Yeah, daughter. daughter. So it's like two-year-old. There's one scene in which she just screams through the entire scene. <laughs> That's how I remember her clearly. Um, Go on. Well, so... <laughs> Realizing now that probably wasn't scripted. <laughs> I'm, I, much of this was not. Um, and so they're walking together. And at some point, because she's she's being hesitant. He doesn't just pose this to her out of nowhere. But she's being hesitant in like how she's talking about her husband and their distance and everything. And they their relationship... Uh, our guy and girl's relationships kind of been developing in some way. And he asks her, do you love him? And she says something in check and he doesn't know what she says. And then she just kind of like smiles or something and then like pulls him off and they like the scene kind of ends. So she said in check, no, I love you. And which you kind of can figure out. Sure. Well, what I was going to say, though, that moment was improved um, by her, by the actress, and he did not know what she was saying in that moment because he doesn't speak Czech. So that moment is real in terms of the actor not really knowing, like, wait, what, what are we doing? What is this? And then they just keep it in the film. But again, you only know this. It's kind of like the end of uh, Lost in Translation. It's like this thing that you only know, you like, it's it's held off from the viewer in a way. So uh, I think that's kind of interesting. 
Unless you've got those subtitles on and you can sort of notice some subject verb changes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you linguists watch it. I wanted to circle back real quick to uh, the mom and her two scenes. Um, First of all, like, they do only speak Czech to each other, but it's not because the mom doesn't speak English. She just doesn't want to. It's kind of like at one point she's translating too much, like, the mom's commenting on how hot she thinks Guy is, and they're like, go back and forth, back and forth. And she's like, can you just speak English? And she's like, no. <laughs> just love that. Um, and then, yeah, the scene with the baby um, when he is, you know, is he like about to leave or something? And he wants to. He wants to say goodbye. Yeah, he's trying to, yeah, he's trying to say goodbye. And he's like, oh, yeah. I'll call or I'll send a letter. So and I the think, mom doesn't really understand entirely what he's saying. Yeah, I think the uh, the crying baby in that scene just makes it all the more effective of just like the, yeah. what can we do here? Like, you not, don't know what I'm saying. They're like, we don't have a phone. We don't have this. We don't have this. And it's like, Gah. so yeah, I thought it was effective, if not planned. Yes, agreed. <laughs> On on that scene, there's kind of a sequence near the end uh, because Guy is going off to London. It's the whole movie takes place in what a week or two max. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if they give like clear time indicators, but I would say like two weeks maximum. But he's going to go to London. It's like a planned. He's going to go there to live, and he's made this demo tape with her and some session musicians, and so it's like they have kind of a planned endpoint of when he's going to go. And they met up like earlier in the day and there's kind of this back and forth of him wanting to see her again later. And it's, she ends up not, she ends up like standing him up presumably, or she gets busy or, or whatever. It's unclear. But then well, the, her husband had just come in. I don't know if we know he's, he was coming in the next day. Oh, I thought he was coming in that day. No, she said she had to go get ready for him to come in. So I wondered, so then following that he, is like kind of wandering around like because she had been working out in like this kind of like courtyard area at points where they initially met and so he was looking for her there he went to the house and she wasn't there he went to this music shop that they had played one of the songs in early on so he's like clearly going to the old haunts in this moment and it just made me wonder is she actively trying to avoid him is that how we read this or is because at one point she talks about like she got a job like cleaning somewhere. And so I wondered, is she just actually at a different job and she's not at one of these places he hopes he finds her at? Or are we supposed to interpret it that she doesn't want to see him, not because she dislikes him or anything, but just because she knows it's like painful and they it it, it just needs to be done. Like like we need to just we, we ended in a good moment here. And I need to walk away. Like, do we think that's what's happening? I sort of saw it as she was continuing on with her life. Maybe not actively avoiding him. I don't think she was actively avoiding him at all, actually. I think that she woke up the next morning. She was like, all right, well, now I have a job to do. I have a daughter to support. I have a husband who's coming in. So I need to take care of these things. And yes, there will always be a part of my heart that's soft for him. But the fact of the matter is, this is my life and this is what what needs to be done. And well, the reason I ask is sad, but the reason I ask is not because not that she wouldn't have her own life that she's living, but like for one thing, she does establish early in the movie that she goes to that music shop, like to play piano at lunch, like basically daily. And then she's not there. And so that seems like 
she would be choosing to not be there for that reason would be my guess, but I don't know. It seems like that it said, go ahead. Well, it just seems like her lunch changes from day to day. And also when she did go into the store the very first time, she asked if she could play that day, which means that there are times that she might not be allowed because there are other people Mm -hmm. in the store or something like that. So that did not surprise me that she wasn't there. I, um, for some reason, and it's not like said or anything, I just in my head imagined that she was like going to pick her husband up, meet her husband at the airport that day. Um, I don't know if that's like a thing from the movie or just what I made up in my head to explain her absence. That makes sense. I like it. Good head canon. Yeah, I just, it. I don't think it struck me the first time I watched it. It's just a question that I had lingering. And the fact that he goes to different places because if he thought she was getting her husband or something... I don't know if he would be like tracking her all over town like you. So I don't know. It just made me wonder if the movie's trying to make it ambiguous or, or what that sequence is about. I think it goes pretty ambiguous. Like you're having grown up watching every movie that you've ever watched. You're ready for like the, her rushing to the train station or airport scene or the, you know, even the last shot of the film is like a camera panning out and looking down the road and you're like, Oh, is he coming down the road? And he's not, it's just, you know, it just is moving on with life. So I think that all of that last sequence is kind of being ambiguous on purpose. And and we feel a little unsettled in it because we're used to the reconciliation at the end of the movie um, and everybody getting what you were kind of rooting for or what they were rooting for. But this movie is kind of saying, you know, that's not what life is. Like, this is the reality. And not in a mean way. In like a very like... Right. Gentle way. Subtle way. And I think that maybe one of the reasons that I wasn't expecting those things, Chris, was because you told me yesterday to get ready to cry at the end. (laughs) Sure. So during that sequence, when he was going to all the old places that he saw her, I was just sort of like oh that's really sweet like he loves her and she probably loves him and he's going to all these places and he just wants to say goodbye and he can't and that's heartbreaking but it'll be okay (laughs) you're welcome for my stunning insight tonight i I feel like that's what the movie is it's heartbreaking but it'll be okay well and earlier you said chris like how you felt that there was a completeness in terms of the story we're watching, which I think is true, he goes off to London with this mixtape or, you know, this demo tape of fantastic songs, which we'll talk about here shortly. And that basically everyone who listens to it, not just us in the audience, but everyone who listens to it thinks they're all very good. Like the guy, the sound technician initially is kind of like, yeah, I got to record with these like dumbasses off the street. And then he's like, Oh, well, wait a second. Hang on. Um, and then she's very supportive throughout the whole film. And then there's a really like touching scene with him and his dad where his dad listens to the song and his dad's encouraging him slash forcing him to go to London to, you know, try to like make it. And it like closes. I mean, it's a really touching like back and forth between them. And it closes with the dad saying like, now play it again um, with this like Irish brogue. And it's like just... It's it's one of the more like I think touching and heartbreaking moments of this movie, and it's just this kind of like side thing that has nothing to do with the central uh, you know romance or pseudo romance. But yeah, so he goes off to try to alter the course of his life, 
she uh her husband does come in um does come back in so she had said she didn't want her daughter to not have a father and so there's implication that there's like a reconciliation there and then also and i know you're wondering and he's not hot sure and then um the uh, guy <laughs> as kind of a token of everything they've gone through and the friendship and her pushing him and helping him with the album he ended up buying her a piano so when he was at the music store, he bought her, it was like a secondhand piano, I think, or something. Um, it, it seemed like a more like kind of beat up thing because he doesn't have money. Um, but he buys her a piano because she, uh, you know, she would play in the music shop and she let, she enjoyed playing and composing, but she didn't have anything. So there's like some closure with them uh, in that moment as well. Well, and she said early on in the film, too, that she couldn't afford one in Ireland. And so that was like a sweet callback mm. that he bought her one. All right, let's talk about Dem songs. <laughs> so good. So All good. I just want to listen to them and like go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, this soundtrack, I had it on repeat in college, um, even though I've only seen the movie once before today. Uh, right, <laughs> I saw we... it once once. Can we... <laughs> Lynn, can you go back in and just every time someone uses the word once, not referring to the name of the film, have like a trumpet or something? Yeah, I'll, I'll do like a, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse word of the day thing. Once! <laughs> but yeah, so I've only seen it one time before today. and But yeah, I had the soundtrack like on repeat. I'm going to and... jump in. Sorry, Jess. I will come yeah. back to your soundtrack. But this is a good uh, place to, since we, Chris uh, started on this, talking about the title. I never even thought about what the title was, what it referred to. It was just like, okay, it's like a musical once. All right, sure. And then it's never anything that really factors into the plot. You could maybe think, oh, it's like this, you know, they were together once. This was like one moment in their lives or something like that. And it has those kind of implications. But apparently uh, the title refers to many talented artists that John Carney knew who put off their career by saying once they get this and that sorted out, but never succeeded because they'd put it off for too long. And so he saw that as describing guy. So that's a like interesting little, like behind the scenes bit that uh, you wouldn't really get from the movie itself, but uh, is supported by like, once you know that you're like, okay, I get it. Once you know that. Yeah. I, I always took it as like, you know, a slice of life, like, they they had this one moment in their life. And I feel like the song at the end kind of plays into that. Well, this too. is what the director the, said, Chris. I know. This is canon. I'm wrong. I get it. All right. All right. Yeah. Back to Jess, Jess. for college years. <laughs> but no, I just like, this is the only movie I can think of where I, oh, that's not true. But like, I know this soundtrack front to back and like, I've only watched the movie one time, which I don't think that happens with any other movies um so i like, yeah no i know i because i follow very similar i have not seen inside lewin davis ever oh. and i read the synopsis and i don't think it's for me but i am obsessed with the soundtrack i listen to it all the time the soundtrack's it's great incredible it's great. and it, it's that sort of just calming folksy music that just really drives the whole film and is something that i just don't want to ever stop listening to for the rest of my life once. I'm talking about once. Like, I was talking about Inside Lewin Davis, but then I switched and to switched. talk about once. 
for me, it's not the calming. It's like the amount of emotion he pours into it. I'm a sucker for emotion in a non-musical song because I love it in musicals. Um, and it's so plentiful in musicals, but you only every once in a while will come across, you know, a singer with, in a band that is going to just like scream his emotions into the microphone without being like a screaming band. Um, and it's just, I, I just feel the music when I listen to it and I, and I love it because of that. Uh, one aspect that I didn't mention at the top, and since we're diving into the music, is worth noting. All the music in the movie is diegetic. And what that means, if you're unaware, is that it's all within the world of the film and of the story. So, like, plenty of movies that you watch, there'll be songs that, you know, it's on the soundtrack, a Tarantino movie or something, and all of a sudden there's this 50 song that hits. And the characters themselves are not hearing that, but we, the audience, are under you know we know it as part of the artifice of the film Uh, but anytime you have characters singing something within the world that's called diegetic or if it's like something's on the radio or whatever um so everything in this is what we see the characters doing so it's either guy singing on the street or singing in um when they go to like record in the recording booth she's walking down the street listening to music and singing to it she sings at the piano. They go to a party at one point and like everybody there is musicians. So they're singing little like Al- Irish songs and stuff. So like there's all kinds of music that happens in the movie, but none of it at any point is okay. Now here's the soundtrack stuff that these characters are unaware of. And I would argue that there are two songs that like feel non-diegetic when they're being sung, yeah, but they are like couched in the movie in a real way. So like, when he's watching the montage of his ex and singing, uh, what's the song called? It's my favorite one. I can't remember the name. Uh, of it. Is it Lies? Lies? Yeah, he's singing Lies. Uh, my favorite song from it. Mm-hmm. You know, up the tide was falling slowly, but I've listened to falling slowly more, <laughs> so it doesn't hit me as hard anymore. Um, like when he's singing that one and we're watching a montage of his past relationship, uh, and I feel like when she's walking down the street and singing her lyrics to that song, those are the two that feel more like a classical musical moment. Mm-hmm. than um, the rest of the songs, I feel like, feel like a real-life performance or interaction yeah. between people. But I feel like those two are kind of like soliloquies of diegetic songs that take on a different, yeah. more musical mood to them. So what are some of our favorite songs? Yeah, Lies is mine too. <laughs> it's just so good. So pretty. This was my first time. Well, it might not have been my first time hearing a lot of the songs because a lot of the songs felt really familiar while I was watching it. Um, but I liked Falling Slowly. And I kind of dug that one with the synth beat. Uh, oh, yeah. The, that they did in the recording studio. That, yeah, that one was kind of a I bop. I do listen to regularly. But <laughs> when it popped up in the movie, I was like, oh, yeah, this is in here. <laughs> um, and I liked anything that her voice was on. I just thought it was mm-hmm. gorgeous. I like that one that they oh. do in the recording studio. Is that Lies? That is The Hill. No. Or I wait, like that. Wait, wait, when she's, the one when that she's she at the, the piano? piano? Yeah, 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 yeah. The that's, one where Eamon's like, oh. that's That's The no, Hill, that's, and that's gorgeous. When your mind's, when no, your she's mind's talking made about up. When Your Mind's Made Up is what Carol Oh, yeah, When Your Mind's Made Up is okay. solid, yeah. The yeah, Hill is the one that she sings like on her own at the piano and is hauntingly Oh, yeah, I like that one, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like uh, basically all the ones we've talked about. I mean, I, I would say that like all the music in the movie is good. There's not a point where I'm just like, oh, this song sucks. It's like, it's <laughs> at least like, oh, this is pretty good. Or this is like, you know, works within what they're trying to do. But yeah, for me, I listed like five. 
that stand out. So the hill where, where she's at the piano, um, when your mind's made up is the one where he and the band are really getting into it. And that's when the recording guy's like, oh, wait, this guy's Bono. Uh, this guy's good. Should be, a, should be a corny moment. But again, the movie's so sweet. It just like pulls it right off. Uh, li- oh, that moment. I love that moment. Lies is the one where he's kind of like reliving some of uh, his past with the ex. Falling Slowly is obviously the big one that won the Oscar. And then If You Want Me was one that she did that I also liked a good deal. It's one of, it's like an early say, one that she does. Yeah, that's the one where she's uh, walking and singing. Yeah. And writing it for uh, him. Yeah. Yes. And I'll say, I feel like people sleep on it because it's just the beginning of the movie, but uh, Say It To Me Now is one of the ones I listen to the most still. Just like, again, if you can open a movie with just him standing there singing this one song and I'm like, oh yeah, I like this movie already. See, I should it's maybe just, watch it again good. because yeah. at that point in the movie, I was like, this is a shaky camera and there's a dude on the street just singing and fighting with a guy who might steal his stuff. And I don't know For how me, I feel. Just like, like I said, the amount of motion he sings with, just like whatever it is, it does it for me. Like I just like am like glued to the TV when nothing else is happening. I think I would like it a whole lot. Like, like I am ending, like by the time I ended the film, I was like, yes, like recommend. But I think that if I watched it again, I would be like, yeah, I'm going to watch once. <laughs> so uh, for those of you who haven't seen the movie or heard any of the soundtrack, just so you are aware of like the kind of music we talked about, it kind of being like an indie flair, kind of folksy. Some songs are more upbeat and kind of um, what's uh, like Mumford's and Sons-esque, that, that kind of like more recent I, I had to check to make sure he wasn't in that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's not explicitly <laughs> that, but it's you know there were no, numerous bands that came out, you know, like early 2010s like and stuff. Pop, pop, folk. yeah, yeah. So there's there's that kind of vibe, and then there's ones that are just like crushingly depressing, but just hauntingly beautiful. Um, but they all all the songs have sort of like a melancholy to them. I think maybe one or two don't, but for the most part, that's kind of the the overall vibe. But uh, but the music's just so very good. Um, and it is on vinyl, by the way. So uh, I got it like a year ago. I highly recommend tracking down the vinyl soundtrack or just any version of the soundtrack because uh, it's very much worth listening to. Other music stuff. Her voice is so pretty. Her harmonies were just, ah, uh, every time. Um, since, if we can pivot really quickly to uh, how Falling Slowly won the Oscar that year. Yeah. Um, I just really love, and I forgot this happened, but like when they won and they went up to give the speech, like he gave his little thing and then she was going to talk and then they started playing over her. And so she didn't get to say anything. And so they go backstage and they're just kind of like, okay, that happened. And John Stewart was the host and he was like, Hey, we're going to commercial. Do you want to just come out here and say stuff to the audience? And so she got to go back out didn't realize they were actually still filming and so she got to like give her speech no so cute i love her she was the she's the youngest non-actress to have ever won an oscar wow i love her she's so cute i want to hang out with her (laughs) yeah and also also that scene was all one take uh there were multiple cameras but the entire falling slowly they recorded in one take and it's just again just the songs are so good that they are carrying the movie for minutes at a time. 
nothing but the songs happening. And, of course, the actors, like, kind of doing their little interplay as they go along. But it's also, it's just so cute, it's, guys. It's I don't so know good. if I said that yet. <laughs> That's another scene, too, that could have been so cheesy and just failed hard of, like, any time in a musical where they're like, I'm going to teach you the song. And it's like, now I know it perfectly. But, like, yeah. You buy it in this that he's like taking her through the progressions and he's like, you know, talking her through it and she has the lyrics in front of her and they just like, it just seems very real that she would be able to just sit down and play with him. So it works. Well, and they present her, yeah, as like as being talented herself too. So I, I feel like it just seems kind of natural that she can pick up. And what he's throwing out there is not super complex. I think she only comes in to sing on the like the chorus, right? but she's playing the melody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they walk through, like, the chord progression. Like, he teaches her the song enough if she knows how to play, you know? <laughs> it's it's believable. And she proved that she knew how to play when she played the Mendelssohn right before. Yes. <laughs> He's like, is that you? Did you write I was that? like, did you write that? And I was like, <laughs> okay, I don't, I can't identify that this is Mendelssohn, but I can't identify that this is, like, <laughs> This old. is, like, famous. <laughs> she didn't write this. Again, I think that's, <laughs> I think that speaks to how they let her exist as like a foreign character in the film without like making her like like she had some challenges with the language and her mom had a lot of challenges with the language but they never like made that part of the character like because he doesn't quite know who Mendelssohn is and he's like oh that's very good and she gives her own like yeah <laughs> like there's a really I like that she gets little moments like that where she can just be like yeah it's Mendelssohn, you idiot. <laughs> like, I feel like... Like, go to an opera for once. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of portrayals of characters like that, like, you won't see that even though I don't know your language doesn't mean that, like, you're smarter than me kind of thing. And I feel like they played with that a few times in the movie in a way that was, like, really, really cool and really cute, guys. Other, <laughs> other cute things cute? Chris wants to share, or anyone... I liked the bit when they were do when when they were in the recording studio and Eamon was trying to get everything all set up. The guy's name is Eamon, the recording guy. And the little teenage drummer is like, Oh yeah, I did all that stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. And then like he says a few more things that they should do and the drummer's like, It's fine, I did it. And then he goes, Cause you need a microphone to record the sound <laughs> And the drummer's like Oh. Oh. That makes sense. I love when they're like <laughs> pitching to that band originally, and they're like, "No, we only play covers." That what was it? Like? Lizzie. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. I, I don't. I don't know if it's Lizzie. an Irish band. My if it's not an Irish band, then they're covering Thin Lizzy, the eighties hair band. Thin Lizzy. That's how I took it. That was my guess, but I don't know if that's how I. Yeah. That's how I read it. And it was fun because they were yeah. like. Are you playing Lizzie? Well, they, <laughs> when they're playing, no. when they're playing on the street, they aren't playing anything discernible because I'm sure even if they wanted them to be playing Thin Lizzie, they wouldn't have been able to get the rights. No, right not at all. And even uh, just yeah, at the beginning, like I laughed when he was chasing the guy who took his his money. He's chasing him down the park, and the guy just was out of breath <laughs> and had to stop running, and so protagonist guy was like come on man just like what are you doing just give me my money back <laughs> and then and then they drop it and he helps pick it up <laughs> i love the moment where he's like just ask me for money and i'll give it to you and the guy's like oh can i have some money and then you can see that like guy is caught in his own generosity <laughs> and he's like i guess i have to, I guess I have to. but he only has like three dollars in change anyway <laughs> 
Although a good amount could have spilled out during the race. Uh, he said he was giving him 10 euros back as they were picking up coins. So mm. we got to remember that there's euro coins out there. I thought I saw a bill. Well, but there well, was that was after, was like after they had out. ran a while, though. It made me wonder how much spilled out when he was running. But he also probably wasn't getting tons of money busking on the street anyway. So I would say I love the band in the recording studio. Yeah. I thought it was very cute that they, um, like, the guy was like, okay, now we know how it sounds in these awesome speakers. Like, we got to put him through some shitty speakers. Like, let's go drive around for a bit. And so they all just, like, pile into one car, and some were sitting across in the trunk, and, like, it's There's a fun frisbee cute. montage scene <laughs> on the beach. They're all hanging out. Eamon's their friend yeah. now. They <laughs> haven't slept of... in, like, 48 hours at that point. <laughs> that was one of the things that got me most on my first watch in the movie was that whole sequence in the recording studio because, like, I feel like we've all been involved in, like, artistic endeavors, and there's just, like, it just had, like, a certain vibe about it that you rarely see just, like, uh, just like we're doing something that's really cool, but we're not professionals, but we could be like, it's just like the whole vibe of the scene and about like artistic creation. I, I'm going to go way off book here and talk about like when I was reading the adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon, it was the same thing Love. where you rarely get that, like that breakthrough artistic performance, like vibe, like told as a story. And I think it's such a, like an exciting thing to watch unfold on film because again we rarely see it. Usually, if I'm watching a documentary about Johnny Cash, he's like singing in a studio, and then all of a sudden he's famous everywhere. But this we we're just seeing like the seed of this artistic adventure, and we're seeing everybody in the room kind of realize at the same time that they have something really neat going on, and it's just like it just gives me a lot of feelings for whatever reason. No, I felt the same way. Yeah. And also, they just met those guys on the street. Like, they weren't even a band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, um, a bit of backstory. So, they keep calling one of the guys Timmy. It's because they were all obsessed with South Park. And so, they were, like, missing watching South Park. And so, they started calling him Timmy in the voice. Oh, my God. I was God. like, are they just doing a South Park impression? And I was like, yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. <laughs> It's very, like, quick. They, like, they do it twice outside the studio. Yeah, I caught it once. And yeah. I was like... <laughs> That's funny. And then just to continue the cuteness off camera, um, the the couple in the film actually falls in love during the filming of the movie. And they had a relationship and a band for a few years afterwards. Two. Um, for two years for afterwards. For two years they were yeah. in a relationship. Uh, and they still, I think the band still performs sometimes, but I might be incorrect. Like, they still have a friendship to this day, uh, though they they let their relationship run its course. Yeah, I think they're on good terms, but yeah, they were like a duo as a band or might have had like a backing band. And they released a couple albums uh, outside of the soundtrack. And that was maybe the last one was like 10 years ago or something. And, then, and if anyone's looking for that, it's under the band's name was The Swell Season. Yes. And then he went on to do other things, and she did a couple solo albums, but uh, it looks like she had stopped some years back. I mean, she's she's been married. She's had um, at least one kid, maybe more. Um, so I don't know if she's just performing what she's already you know, recorded or if she's still working on albums and that kind of thing. But yeah, they, uh, they did have... Uh, a relationship that started following, uh, like once they went on the press tour, though the director thought 
that it might have been kind of like forming during shooting. Which I think makes sense if you were watching, like, as two mm. non-actors, yeah. they're pulling off some pretty big emotions there, so I think if you read those as, uh, you know, somewhat based in a reality where they are falling in love, it makes sense. And I was watching the movie, and again, mentally, not on top of my game, but I was like, oh, this is like a cute movie about, like, two 30-year-olds, and it was not. It is there, is, <laughs> there is some weirdness that I feel we would need to address. So, uh, yeah, he, I think the actor who plays Guy is like about 36 when they're shooting. And she, I believe, is 18. Um, yeah, there's an 18-year difference. Yeah. He's 1970 and she's 88. And so, yeah, they do end up getting in a relationship in real life, you know, outside of the film, um, you know, for a couple years. Um and so it is complicated. Uh, I, I will say, I, I think the movie works very well. And uh, they, as Chris, I think you said earlier, like they, there's a kiss on the cheek. And so, you know, there's nothing more to their relationship really beyond that. Um, and I had always like in the past thought this was such a cute story that they fell in love. And then I come rolling into this podcast and I learned about <laughs> well, the age difference. The, the, so I, I've been rooting for this for years, and now all of a sudden, the, so <laughs> I'm a monster. No, but the and and I I, I, I think it's really good, and I think it's very touching. the The troublesome thing that I wish I hadn't read, and is that they met when she was thirteen. They yeah. met when she was thirteen. Her dad was like putting on kind of like a some kind of concert thing, uh, like a a music festival or something, and. So she met this guy, so he would have been like 30. And then, um, and it's like, all right, well, that's weird enough. But then I guess he sort of like helped her with music and got her into music and kind of like helped her break into the scene from what, I mean, if if Wikipedia is correct. um, So this all predates the film and predates them acting in the film and obviously predates them dating. But so that's that's out there. I I was not pleased to have read it, and I know that you were talking. You just spent an hour talking about how personal and touching this movie is to you, Chris. <laughs> and I will admit, as while watching it, there are many moments that were touching to me, and parts where I teared up. And I think it operates in a very beautiful way at points. And I'm not saying that anything untoward was necessarily happening, but it isn't the best look i'll, I'll say that. it's not a well, good look it, i'll admit that it's not a good look but having like watched i'm gonna dig myself a hole before i like carolyn dump the dirt on no me. i was gonna probably <laughs> dig a little also okay yeah i was just gonna say that like it doesn't seem like it was a predatory relationship it doesn't seem like it in, in like, film they both Sure. Right. Well, I mean, in real life, too, because they, they had the band together. They both kind of, like, mutually agreed to go their separate ways because they felt that they had a stronger friendship than they had, like, a relationship. Like, they they still have played music together since then. Like, it doesn't seem like it was, like, one person taking advantage of another person. It seems like two people who were wildly different in age legitimately fell in love with each other uh, to some extent. But... It's hard. 
it's hard with the timeline to know, did he just know her as a younger girl, or did he, like, we don't know what the relationship was between that and when this movie well, happened, so I, again, this is to what, be, like... Yeah, all it says is that Hansard played a large part not only in her development as an artist and songwriter, but also in launching her career. Now, I don't know if that, maybe that means in regards to once. I don't know if she had like a career prior to it. The only other thing that's out there of like, and Carolyn, you can go in a sec here, um, is that's a little weird is that Hansard's friend is the director or like a guy from a previous band. And she was cast first because Cillian Murphy was supposed to be Guy. Killian. Killian? Okay. Uh, he was supposed to be Guy, but he didn't want to act across like somebody who was as inexperienced as her and possibly as young as her. But so so then Hansard ended up being chosen. So I don't know if he was always going to be like used, you know, for like writing the songs or something. But that but then it Well he yeah, he had written the songs already. Okay. Because part of another part of Killian Murphy's reason for not joining the production was because he he while he was a singer he didn't think he could, he had the range to pull off the songs okay. yeah, that I think I saw had that. written. Uh, so uh, all I'm saying though is like the the guy's friend is the director and he's casting them together, so that's where it gets a little dicey. Um, but Carolyn, what'd you have? I was just gonna say, and again, this might. This probably isn't a good look, but if you don't know that going into the film, their age isn't really mentioned. She mentions at one point that her husband is older than she is, but again, could be my terrible eyes. I genuinely could not. She tell. carries herself older for sure, right? And, and I would I, say in the, I would say in the world of the film, there's no problem at all, right? But knowing that they were a real life couple after is where it gets kind of wishy-washy and it it wasn't it was a great thing for me until just this week well and one of the reasons (laughs) that i feel bad saying that she carries herself well is because that's sort of that's a really slippery slope and like sort of one of the huge issues with big age differences Mm -hmm. and being like oh she's so mature for her age like oh um (laughs) but again we don't know that if you don't know that going in um which you who are listening, I'm sorry that you do know that going in. But if you didn't, like if you like Eternal Sunshine this and then watched it, that would be best. Just do that. <laughs> Just give it a shot. <laughs> and I, like, this is coming from someone who has a really weird thing for older men. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, nice. Good job. <laughs> to her, not to him. <laughs> Like, it's creepy when he does it, but it's cool when she does it. See, Chris, I'm digging, too. This is not, this is bad. Okay. You're digging deeper than anyone right because now. because it's a very adorable situation with some very damning consequences mm-hmm. on the back end of it. For society. Well, and, and I would also say, like, we don't, there's no smoking gun. We don't know anything. We don't know, like, this is, you know, this is horrible that we have evidence of this or that or whatever. Like, it... It could be as innocuous as possible because the age difference is still a factor. Um, But yeah, there's, you know, there's some like aspects that I was not aware of. I knew from having seen it before, I remembered that she was younger than him. I remember there was somewhat of an age gap. I knew that they had been a couple. But when I was like looking up some information on them solo, that's when I saw that they met when she was 13 and that he apparently like kind of 
helped her musically and stuff. So I was like, oh, okay. Which I think, yeah, I think, like Len said, at, at best, it's not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> but past all of that, it's a very charming film yes. with some amazing music that uh, you know are by two uh, incredibly talented musicians. So, you know, even if you weren't to get into the film itself, I think many people would um, be able to appreciate the soundtrack, even on its own. Like the soundtrack just works as just a great album, independent of the film. Um, You know, a lot of musical soundtracks you can enjoy, but you kind of like need to know what the plot is. You need to have an idea of how this factors into different stuff. In this movie, it's basically like, oh, these two characters are drawn to each other. And these are songs about like loss and love and, you know, loneliness. And it's just kind of like they're pop songs. And so they work on that level. All right. uh, Anything else before we wrap up? I wanted to say we have mentioned that it became a musical on Broadway. Yes. And what I didn't know is that they changed the girl's personality. Oh, basically, I, yeah, I didn't read into what they did with the Broadway version. I assume they might have yeah. added some songs too. Which yeah, so I've never listened to the soundtrack. I think I saw them perform with the Tonys when they won, but like I know all but in on the soundtrack, they take some of the minor songs from the movie, uh... like Gold, and they add those in as the um, like as extra songs, like. The song that the uh, banker sings and, like, the songs that is sung at, the, yeah. uh, at like, the dinner scene, that those become part of the do they Do they add new stuff? Because I know a lot of times when things get translated over, they'll add stuff so it becomes eligible, um, you know, like... They probably added a song or two, okay. but I don't know if Broadway has the... Same thing as the Oscars? Oscars. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry, Jess. Sorry, I interrupted Jess. Go for it. <laughs> No worries. Now I'm just concerned that they gave the banker a full song. <laughs> this doesn't seem he, worth it. Right, that was a he cute He doesn't get scene. the whole song. He doesn't. He doesn't get the song. He they they transpose a lot of the songs into like uh, like an Irish. I haven't seen the show. I just saw it on the Tonys and have listened to the soundtrack. Uh, but a lot of them are transposed into like they they frequent a bar where the singers like take turns singing their songs, uh, and that's where a lot of the songs come in. Um. So yeah, I was reading an article earlier today that came out like on the 10 year anniversary of the movie. And it was just like looking back at 10 years of once and they were talking about the musical and how basically they felt like they needed to adjust the girl's character to play better on stage, which makes sense. Like she's kind of, I don't know, quiet in the movie and just like a little, you know, she's this beam of light, but she is very kind of, introspective i think Mm -hmm. and so they made her like a loud brash lady in the uh uh, musical and i haven't heard it but i know that kristen miliotti plays her who i love but i'm like that doesn't even sound like a shot yeah i'm like that doesn't even sound like a part that she would play so i don't know what they mean by loud and brash but uh yeah it just sounded weird and i was like i don't know if that works anymore if they change her personality that much so interested to listen to it and see what I think. I, I mean, it beat Newsies that year. <laughs> Amazing. Newsies is a good musical. It I'm really is. To say. Everybody watch it on Disney Plus. <laughs> I, I don't, yeah, I don't love what you're saying in terms of like them changing her up. I guess I can see some of the logic of it of like, if you're thinking like Eternal Sunshine, where you have one really like boisterous character and then one really kind of like locked in, closed in character. And so then they can, 
play off each other differently. Whereas both these characters, even though he's loud when he sings, he's also fairly quiet and unassuming. And, you know, so like you have these kind of like two indie movie characters that are just kind of like walking through life, talking softly and then singing sometimes. So I can understand the impulse of we should differ one of these so that they more break out. But I guess between the two of them, he would make more sense to me to make to since he's already loud when he sings and you could like just have you could just have someone like just be really energetic like just direct that guy to be like just kind of like a force or something i think that character would play better than trying to completely overall her but i don't know yeah i just thought it was interesting because i love their dynamics so much in the movie that i was like i don't even know what would work about that relationship if they changed her so drastically right yeah that's weird. We'll see. All right. So would we recommend once? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I uh, At least once. I, I specifically watch this movie whenever I am like in a weird like headspace because it makes me feel things, but doesn't dump me out at the end in a too happy or too sad place. Like I get all my feelings out. Um, but it's not such an extreme change that my body's going to reject. It's it. a real lukewarm watch. It's not, <laughs> no. but it ends loop. Like that's what I'm saying. It like, it, it makes me feel things very strongly, but doesn't at the end try to like force me in one direction or the yeah. other. It's like, you can go whatever direction you need to at the end, Chris. It's fine. And that sort of actually goes back to what I was saying before about how it's sort of, safe it makes you feel safe inside like you go into it and however it plays out the way that it goes the way that it ends you don't feel threatened or forced one way or another you just feel like you are watching a safe movie with kind music but you still feel uh, i do it. right 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 but like you so, feel like and you said it earlier like it's not safe in the choices it's making right it's just like it makes you feel safe right yes 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 yeah so carolyn a recommendation for you Oh, absolutely watch it. Yeah. And if you don't watch it, like, at least get the soundtrack. I respect that. Yes. Jess? Yeah, I'd say I definitely recommend it, especially if you're a fan of, like, the early 2000s indie folk rock sound. Um, Watch it for that. I would say if you... This movie reminds me of um, Before Sunrise. Is that the first one? Before Sunrise. Yeah. Um, the early yeah, 90s movie. It's very movie similar to all those. With Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy where they meet and I think they're leaving the next day, but they spend the whole day and night together and just like, it's basically conversations through Vienna is basically the whole movie of just them slowly getting to know each other and falling in love and then deciding at the end, like, we're not going to exchange any contact info. We're just going to meet here in six months. And so then you, I won't, no spoilers for another movie, but. Uh, they did make yeah, two more of happens. them though. So. Yes. <laughs> I didn't see the third one, but yeah. They're all, they're all pretty um, that movie's like. They might be a new couple, so we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's like devastating at the end because you're just like, oh my God, they were like perfect. But it was same vibes throughout the whole thing. But like, yeah, this one is definitely an easier ending to swallow 
So for me, yeah, I would definitely recommend this. Like I said, I think it's the second time I've watched it, but I have owned it for a while. Um, I have numerous songs from the soundtrack that have been on mix CDs I've made. I have the soundtrack on vinyl. So for me, the love of this movie comes mostly from the songs, but I think it's also an incredibly well-made movie. And like, like I said earlier, it's low budget, it's shoestring, but and it's rough and gritty, but it's all of that is working in its favor. The two actors who aren't really actors do a very good job at uh, what they need to pull off for the scenes and for the emotion and for the story. Um, the fact that it's like a breezy 80 minutes means that this is, you know, like, oh, you want to throw on once and, you know, can kind of experience like I, I think like even if you don't walk away thinking this is the best musical I've ever seen or my favorite indie movie or anything. I think there will definitely still be scenes that you will be touched by and will move you. And then I think there will be music that you will think is fantastic because you have to, otherwise you don't have a soul. These songs are terrific. So uh, (laughs) track down the soundtrack for once and track down once, which brings me to, can I find this? Um, This one actually is pretty widely available. The fact that it won Oscars and Tonys and everything else probably helped. Uh, If this was just like a little Irish musical that made was made for $150,000 and then didn't get any of that, uh, we probably wouldn't be able to track it down. But you can uh, view this like streaming on YouTube, iTunes, Vudu, Google Play, Amazon Prime, and I think many others. And then it is out there on DVD and Blu-ray, and then the soundtrack, CD, MP3, and as I said, vinyl is out there. So, I will say it's uh, it is it's on HBO Max. Also, if you have a subscription, it's streaming on HBO Max, which is a nice way to find it without spending extra if you have HBO. Very cool. All right, so that wraps us up for once. We will be back next time, uh, shifting gears again. We are going to be looking at a movie called The Beast, also known as The Beast of War, which is sort of like a war drama that I have never heard of, I've never seen. No one on the panel has seen it. This was our first recommendation from an outside listener, so we are going to give this a go. So uh, see you then for that one.